Well, if you could please turn in your copy of God's Word to the book of Galatians and the fifth chapter. This is a bit unusual for our congregation. This is a a series very different from what we might normally do. Uh, It's a series on the nature of biblical liberty. Uh, Tonight we're going to begin with an overview, and then in successive sermons, I trust, we will fill in the details, so to speak, but uh, give an overview of what the Bible prescribes in terms of the liberty that he has given to his people. And there are several spheres of liberty that we must consider. And uh, we'll just get the bird's eye view today, and then, as I said, fill in later. So, Galatians chapter 5, let me read the first 13 verses for you. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith, which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord, that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, Why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off which trouble you. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Amen. May the Lord bless his word to us. Let us pray briefly. O Lord our God, we come now to the preaching of thine holy word. And we know that the minister, were he to attempt to take the holy things of God up merely in his flesh, uh, would be of no use to the congregation. In fact, his own soul would be in peril. And so, Father, we pray that it would be the Spirit of the Lord who would work through the preaching, that this man would be a mere servant of the Lord Most High and would not be a lord over the consciences of the people of God here, that they would find truly that their conscience is bound to the word of God and may they find great liberty in that. And so have the man preach in a manner in which only the word and its truths would be exposited and known. And we pray, Father, then that the spirit of the Lord would fill our assembly now and that you would let my speech and my preaching be not with the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that the faith of the congregation should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, since in recent times, at least 2020, and these COVID lockdowns, the question of what the Bible teaches concerning biblical liberty and the liberty of the church has been a question that many have sought to have answered. In a lot of ways, many churches were caught sort of flat-footed. What is the limit of the magistrate's authority in the church? What is the authority around the church? 
What is it that the individual Christian's conscience ought to be bound to? What power does the state have? What power does the church not have as well? You know, when some, in fact, started to take, uh, some governments, in fact, started to take civil liberties, the church was so flat-footed, some men were even teaching that Romans 13 was kind of a blank check given to the government. They can do whatever you want, they want, and so the church must humbly submit to everything, just obey the civil authorities. And many, as you remember, they closed their churches for months and months and months, and, and the worship of God was silenced in many lands. And we remember that quite well. In some places, for a year or more, the worship of God was ceased. And that's a terrible, terrible thing, brethren. Yet others, they defied the magistrate, worshiped God. Some were jailed. Was that right? Um, many worshiped in the field as our covenanter forefathers did because the magistrate would not allow them to worship in the church buildings. And that is a reminder to us that actually these questions about biblical liberty are not new. That the Reformed churches especially, and the Covenanter church as well, particularly have wrestled with the questions of the nature of the spiritual independence of the church and its liberties, the liberty of conscience that the individual believer has as well, in which even the church is not to transgress and trespass over, these are really in many ways settled questions and settled answers that come out of the word of God. The question of the struggle of the church's liberty is not new. What the Bible plainly teaches is that Jesus Christ is Lord of the conscience. He only. And Jesus Christ is the sole king and head of the church. And because this is his rule over both conscience and church, and we'll find even over state, none can intrude upon his rule. And all who seek to insert themselves between Christ and his people, whether it's in the conscience or whether it's in the authority of the church, will find themselves dashed to pieces. You remember, it was rather, uh, and this is actually quite providential in our family worship time. Our children will tell you last night we were in Second Chronicles 26. And you remember what happened to King Uzziah. He found out what happens when one trespasses into the worship of God. And the priests, they withstood him, saying, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed. Neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. There is a place that a king must not go. And it's not in the church to have and exert any authority inside the church. And children... Boys and girls, do you remember what happened to King Uzziah? He was struck with leprosy until the day he died. Such is the wrath of God on those who trespass into the church's spiritual freedom. You know, COVID in a lot of ways was really just a warning to the church, regardless of what you feel should or shouldn't have been done, um, was a warning from God that we best get our theology in order before something greater comes upon us. It was really just a slight warning to us. And you can see how we just fell apart as the church, squabbling with each other, not looking to what God had to say on anything. And so we were caught flat-footed. Let us not be flat-footed anymore. But there are other questions, and I use COVID just as an example, but this question of liberty, spiritual liberty, is broader. There are other questions 
that need asked and answered. What liberties do I have as an individual believer? Right? What liberty does my conscience have? What kind of liberty actually does my conscience not have? Can my pastor tell me to do or believe anything that they say or wish? What authority and what are the limits of my pastors and elders? Can they force me to worship God however they wish me to worship? You have other questions. Is there a human, a mere human head of the church? Is there a pope? Is there a king? Is there a bishop that can rule the church as a man? Again, in God's providence, he has caused the church to grapple with these questions over the intervening centuries since Christ's ascension. And he has also given us all the answers in the scripture. Do you think God would leave us groping in the dark without answering these vital questions in the word of God? No, he would not. He would not do that. Christ is a good king. And he has given us everything we need to know about Christian liberty. And in the trials that the Lord has brought upon his church in the centuries, godly and learned men, better men than me, have searched the scriptures in their trials and God has used them to bring about doctrines and practice over the centuries by which we may better know the mind of God. Our problem as the church is that we often forget what God teaches us, right? We're so quick to forget and we're not, we always think that we're the only ones who've ever experienced something. But no, there has been much trial and difficulty in the history of the church And because we ignore that, we are not studied in these doctrines as we ought to be. And our liberty to serve the Lord and him only is often being squashed. Now, I've noticed also there's a a recent danger, and this is one of the impetuses uh, for this sermon series, that as much of the church's elders have been asleep in the church, ready to give over government to government intrusions, um, savage wolves have arisen inside of the church, as Paul has warned They're preaching liberty in some ways rightly telling us, right? The government has no place in the church. Get your mitts off of the church, they might say. But they bring with them a false gospel. They bring with them a false gospel to lead us into a greater bondage by robbing us of our greatest liberty, the gospel of grace. And that's a terrible problem in that there are men who are crying liberty, liberty with one hand and with the other hand, they're going to snatch away your actual true most dearest and nearest liberty. You can think of men like Doug Wilson and his Federal Vision friends in the CREC. Brethren, you know, these men will take from your soul far more than they promise to give you. Far more than they promise to give you. So there's danger on all sides. But Christ, our great king and prophet, has given to us his mind in such matters. So let's discover his mind to the glory of Christ and stand fast for the liberty that Christ died to set us free. So today we'll only begin with an overview of these doctrines, sort of a, a we'll fly by, and then we'll dive into details and nuances in future weeks. So our, our theme will be an overview of biblical liberty, and our outline has two main parts. First is standing for liberty, and the second part is divided into three spheres of liberty, an overview that we'll consider in the series. First is the Christian's individual liberty before Christ. Second is the church's liberty spiritual independence under Christ. And third is actually the commonwealth has liberty too. It's liberty to freely submit to Christ. So these three spheres of liberty uh, are what we will just breeze by today. But first we begin by standing for liberty. Now we are in Galatians 
And as you likely know, in this epistle, the Apostle Paul contended against those who would pervert the gospel of free grace. Um, And no discourse on liberty ought to begin without considering the greatest liberty we have, which is the gospel itself. Too many come, as I've mentioned, to rob the gospel from us, and we must never, ever give this up. Let us never give up the gospel. So in Galatia, teachers had crept into the church teaching the need for circumcision as well as other works of the law to be added to simple faith in Jesus Christ. They said these extra works were necessary to justify the Christian. It was not enough for you to wholly put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not enough. They said you must be circumcised and you must then keep all the works of the law. You know, there are men today who claim to be reformed. And they will say things like, you must be baptized to be saved. You must participate in the sacraments in order to be justified. Absolutely untrue. Just ask when you get to heaven, the thief on the cross. Absolutely untrue. Or you must perform good deeds and good works in order to be justified. But that is heresy, just as it was in Galatia. And that steals your freedom. Absolutely so. Don't let men come in and say this kind of thing. Yes, are these fruits of our salvation? Fruits, uh, not circumcision, obviously, not the ceremonial stuff, but the good works, the participating in the sacraments. Yes, these are evidences of our faith. They are necessary in terms of the Lord says, do them. However, that is not what justifies you before God such that if you died after placing your faith in the Lord, you get hit by a bus without ever taking the Lord's Supper, without ever being baptized, you are saved. Praise God. False teachers, you note here, add works of the law to the free grace of the gospel. And what Paul says is that nullifies the grace of the gospel. And the apostle says that is not freedom, that is bondage. In verse two, Paul said, if you do that, Christ shall profit you nothing. In verse 4, to those who take in such teaching, Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. These are grave warnings, aren't they? Christ profits you nothing. What a terrible thought. And what you do, the apostle says, is to put on yourself the yoke of bondage in verse 1. You're not shackled to Christ who sets you free but now you have become a debtor to do the whole law to keep all of it in order to be saved. You don't just get to say, well, I'll do this little part and then I'll be justified. No, you are a debtor to all of it, all the law. And you know no man can do that. No mere man can do that. That is a debt that you or any other sinner can never repay. You have essentially put yourself in the debtor's prison, which is hell. So if you take teaching that you must perform works of the law as a condition of salvation, you have become a debtor to the whole law, you are not free, you are damned, and you must never ever even consider doing that, brother. It is the free grace of God, salvation by faith alone in Christ alone, that we must maintain. We must maintain. And so this text strikes at the heart of the nature of the gospel, salvation entirely of grace, And this is the greatest part of the liberty of the children of God. Completely set free from all the debt we owe God. What a great liberty this is. This is the great thing we need. And this is the great thing Christ has procured for us. Salvation is all of Christ and we are just beggars. 
And he freely gives our cup overflowing such that we say there is nothing that I can add to my overflowing cup of salvation and I best not try. Praise God for that. O blessed Savior who has freed us from our bondage to law-keeping for salvation. And he says in Galatians 1.8, which we didn't read, that though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. No matter how angelic the messenger seems, after all, Satan can transform himself into an angel of light. No matter how, how um, cheery, no matter how joyous, no matter how kind, no matter how lyrical the words of a man comes that would preach anything else, he is accursed. Children, do you know the Pope in Rome is accursed? Because he does this kind of thing, doesn't he? He's accursed because he preaches another gospel than Christ's gospel. And we'll speak more of him as we speak of the spiritual independence of the church another day. So with that understanding, here is the apostle's exhortation in the first verse. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Now, this text specifically and directly speaking of the spiritual freedom we have in the gospel. And it's not so much immediately speaking of all the spiritual liberties that we enjoy in Christ. However, I do believe that there are principles in that very first verse that are necessary for every spiritual liberty that Christ has given us or given his church. And I think you can take some of the, um, the teaching of this text and apply it more broadly. And I think as you consider more broadly the concept of biblical liberty, maybe we should first start with the idea itself. What is biblical liberty, generally speaking? Because there has been much confusion on this point. Biblical liberty is not, I get to do whatever I want as a Christian. That's not biblical liberty. No, biblical liberty is more like this. It is the freedom to be Christ's, and it is the freedom to serve him as your Lord according to his word. That's biblical liberty. It's your freedom to be Christ and no man can stand between you and Christ. You have every liberty to be his, but also you have liberty to follow him and serve him as Lord, as your Lord. It is the freedom to apprehend Christ in the biblical gospel and then to go serve him in accordance to his holy word. You remember Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, put it this way. This is how he saw freedom, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hands of our enemies, now first and foremost think of sin and Satan and not Rome, right? That he, uh, that being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Luke 1, 74 and 75. That's liberty to serve the Lord, our God. That's biblical liberty. Everything, mark this well, that goes against that is bondage. Everything that would stand in the way of you serving the Lord is bondage. What was the message of that first great tyrant in the word of God in Exodus, in the great liberation? What did Moses, what, was, what did God say to Moses to say to Pharaoh? Let my people go, Why? that they may serve me. Exodus 9.1. So the gospel then, 
liberates us from our debt to God to freely serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And anything or anyone that comes in the way of that is a tyrant. They resist God. So from our text here, I want to give you, uh, and it's exhortation, seven observations, which are generally helpful in a consideration of the doctrine of biblical liberty. The first observation is this. Jesus Christ, as the apostle says, died to liberate the Christian and is now the exalted Lord of the Christian. You remember that the Passover lamb was necessary to be slain in order to liberate the people of God out of Egypt, the Hebrews. So too is the lamb of God slain, Jesus Christ, to give us every spiritual liberty. And so to give ourselves over to spiritual bondage of any kind is in some way going to deny Christ, to deny his rights, to deny his purchase of his church, and so on, to deny even the fact that uh, the Lord has set him as prince and ruler of the nations, right? Christian liberty then, and maybe this is helpful for you, is not so much about our rights, right? In America, we're all about my rights, but they're really about Christ's rights. That's what Christian liberty is. It's about Christ's rights. It's his right, right, as you think even in Galatians, to lay out the terms of salvation. He has the right to dictate that. It is his right to be the Lord of the Christian. It is his right to be the ruler of the nations. These are his rights that we are contending for. What's our denominational banner? What's written upon it? For Christ's crown and covenant, right? It's about Christ, first and foremost. To deny Christian liberty, then, is in effect to fight against Jesus himself. Second, the gospel is central to the Christian notion of liberty. This text here in Galatians is about the gospel. I will go to other texts about other aspects of Christian liberty. But the gospel is the central liberty the Christian possesses and is to not give up. I mentioned this in the introduction. Some men will allure you into fighting for civil liberties but what they give with the right hand, they take away with the left, right? They preach another gospel to you. I mentioned much of that comes from federal vision men, but they take away the fundamental right and liberty that all Christians possess. You may not in this life gain full, free civil liberties. You may not in this life have a fully free, spiritually free church, but what you must never do What you must never do is throw away what you possess as a believer. Never. A full and free pardon, a salvation not by works, no ceremonies, only faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not be bewitched and seduced into giving up what uh, no man ought to take from you, which is the gospel of free grace. This text says, Jesus will be of no effect to you if you do, and that is chilling. Third, Observation, Christian liberty is not license. Verse 13 says, Only uh, use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Christian liberty is to give us the ability to serve God and serve neighbor in holiness. We are freed to do that thing. You know, there's a dangerous perversion of Christian liberty, which I hope to speak of next time, which is more libertarian than Christian, and it becomes antinomian, right? Which is against the law of God. Whereas a Christian says, uh, should never say, I have license to do whatever it is I want to do. 
A Christian will never say, well, you know, if just my conscience is clear, then I can do it. No, even our conscience is bound to the word of God, right? It's not just whatever I feel like doing, I must do. That's liberty. No, then that's a libertarian view of liberty. What we are at liberty to do is follow the word of God and its commandments. The moral law, yes, the ceremonial laws banish circumcision is gone, but the moral law still abides, not as a rule of justification, but of sanctification, that we would serve the Lord and walk after him. I'll address that next week. But, you know, this is very simple here. If you scan down your text, you're seeing here this list of works of the flesh, especially in verses 19 through 21, right? And these are uh, mostly, these are sins against the commandments of God. These are sins against the commandments of God, I should say. And the apostle says, do not be deceived, right? Those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So here we have, right, this great text on liberty, but he's saying don't do these things that are against the law of God. And so we're not at liberty to do whatever we wish. That's not Christian liberty. And I will say there are some Christians who think they're fighting the culture war, rightly opposed to ungodliness in our society, who conduct themselves in an unholy manner as they do so. And that is not the liberty Christ has given us. We walk in holiness all the days of our life. Observation four. Christians are prone to give themselves to bondage. And this is something that we have to be aware of. You recall that even after being liberated and coming out of the house of bondage in Egypt, the Hebrews longed to return to the house of bondage, right? Number 14.4, just one example. Were it not better for us to return unto Egypt? And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. The Lord liberates us and we are very eager to return to bondage. It was the same for the Galatians here, as you see it in this text. You know, the, the apostle, you get the sense as you read this epistle, is almost like tearing out his hair over their return to bondage. He wrote earlier in Galatians 3.1, O oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? We are ready, according to our flesh, to give ourselves over to bondage. We are prone to give ourselves to bondage to sin, bondage to ceremonies, bondage to moralism, bondage to popes, bondage to civil rulers, that is something of ourselves we must recognize and we are to be vigilant concerning it. Fifth observation. We are called to stand fast in this liberty. We are to take a stand for Christian liberty. We are not to cede ground no matter what. This is why men were martyred for the gospel. Men bled for the gospel because we are to stand fast. Christian liberty is not negotiable whether in the face of popes or civil authorities, the martyrs would not deny the Lord Jesus Christ. For the spiritual independence of the church, you can read the histories. So many ministers lost their livelihood because the Jerusalem from above is free, free from men's rules and doctrines. In the COVID lockdowns, in order to worship God, men went to jail. Some left countries like Canada and emigrated to the United States. I know several families personally. They saw that God was saying to these modern pharaohs, let my people go so that they may serve me. So many personal friends of mine lost family and homes in order to come and worship God. They didn't come here for economic freedom. 
They came here because they wanted to worship God. If they had come for economic freedom, they would have done so before 2020. Sixth, false brethren in the church will seek to rid us of our liberty. Galatians 2.4. And that because of false brethren unawares brought in who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Sometimes it's false brethren in the church that are the greatest opponents to Christian liberty. And that's a shocking thing to us, but it's certainly true. False prophets in the Old Testament, they arose from in the church. The Galatian false teachers in the church. As I mentioned, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light and his ministers do too. Remember that and be aware. As Paul warned in uh, Ephesus, men will arise with fair speeches to seduce the disciples and they'll do it from in the church. Everyone must test what is said according to the word of God. Because there are men in the church, don't think everybody who says they're for you in the church is truly for Christ. Test everything against the word of God. Even me, your pastor, test me against the word. Seventh and lastly, I think this is important. Standing for Christian liberty will result in persecution. Galatians 5.11 if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer pers- uh, preach circumcision? Why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. Why was Paul persecuted for preaching the true gospel? So don't be surprised that you be persecuted for standing for Christian liberty. Moses was persecuted for freeing the children of God. Christ was persecuted, as you well know, defending the spiritual liberty of the church will cause the church to be persecuted. To pursue true liberty will cause you to be persecuted, but you are to stand fast and not give ground because in the end, again, remember what you're doing. You're not standing first and foremost for your liberty. This is Christ's crown rights. It's his gospel that we are defending and we are his servants. It is his gospel that he died for that we say, must we not be jealous for him? He who died to set us free. It's his crown rights, we say, in his ascension earned through his travails on the earth to be Lord of the Christian, Lord of the church, and Lord of the commonwealth. Christian liberty is about Jesus foremost. And we go off track when we think it has something to do with us foremost and have little care that this is his prerogative. So biblical liberty is the liberty to be Christ's and to serve him as Lord as he is to be served according to the word. Now, in our remaining time, limited time, I want to give an overview of where we're going in the weeks ahead as we look at the several spheres in which we can apply this doctrine. Now, the first of these spheres is the Christian's individual liberty, which is our next heading. Now, I've already introduced the idea from our text, so I'll try not to belabor the point that the gospel of free grace is the greatest of all liberties we have. We are redeemed by Christ from the guilt of sin, the horror of hell, and the wrath and curse of God. And as saints, having faith in Jesus Christ, we are delivered and freed from all of that by his work. Galatians, I'll stick in Galatians, Galatians 3.13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Praise the Lord for what he has done. But another freedom that we have by Christ's power, his omnipotence, is um, 
that we are set free from bondage to sin, aren't we? We are no longer slaves to sin, praise God. And we are uh, no longer bound to these foes of our soul. We are given power to obey Christ. We are given power to mortify sin by the Holy Ghost. You are not under sin's dominion. Is that not precious? Sin is not my taskmaster anymore. Just as God broke Pharaoh, God has broken sin. And I am free. And I must never sell myself over again to sin. I must never have sin be put as a tyrant over my heart when Christ has displaced him and kicked sin out of the throne of my heart. I must never seek to put him back. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Praise God, John eight thirty six. We're also freed from the ceremonial law, as in our text, no more circumcision, no more sacrifices, no more Levitical priesthood, no more incense and smells and bells and, and, and so on. All those ceremonies were shadows of Christ to come. And he is the substance of them. He is the fulfillment of them. Now, we are often quite familiar with these benefits of the gospel, and perhaps we are a bit overly familiar, if we can be honest. But these are so glorious. So glorious, aren't they? And if you think of them as precious, you will never trade them away for anything. Even when a man comes and preaches a, a kind of liberty to you. If you say, if you take this away, get thee behind me, Satan. Now, these freedoms are often talked about in gospel preaching churches. I'm thankful they are. And I hope we preach it quite often here. But when it comes to individual liberties, we need to rediscover the precious doctrine that is called liberty of conscience. Liberty of conscience. Because this has been sorely neglected in the church. Christ has freed your conscience from the doctrines and commandments of men. He has freed your conscience from following anything that is contrary to his word. He has freed you from blind obedience to men and what they will prescribe you to do. You remember Rome was quite masterful as this, right? At this, not only did they preach a false gospel, they also sought to bind our consciences to dead works and man-made doctrines. Observe Lent, light a candle, pray for the dead, do not marry, confess sins to your priest, do not eat meat. They sought to be lords of your conscience. And what is that to do? It's to usurp Christ's lordship over you. Now you might say, well, who would fall for this kind of bondage? Well, friends, many, too many do, too many will. In Galatia, it had clearly happened. Look at the Church of Rome, look at Anglicanism, look at too many Presbyterians who have gone that way. You'll see things like candle lighting ceremonies now, and, and nobody asks, where did God ask for his people to do these things? How are we binding the consciences of the worshiper without saying, thus saith the Lord out of the word of God. That is bondage. That is not liberty. Remember our seven observations. We are prone to give away our liberty. We are prone to trade away Christ's kingship. We are prone to take on the lordship of men. A man says, do this in worship, and you say, okay. That is bondage, friend. You're, bound, you're binding your conscience to a man. You have the man has to say if you are to do anything in the uh, in the church, here it is out of the word of God. You need to ask: Has God asked me to do such and such, and does God want me to do such and such? 
I want you to remember James 4.12. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou to judgest one another? No unbiblical rules, no unbiblical doctrines must bind the Christian's conscience. To give yourself to man-made commandments is to betray liberty of conscience. Mark 7, 6 through 8. This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching what? For doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men. It's Christ's lordship that is the foundation of the liberty of conscience. We are binding our conscience to the commandments of God and not the commandments and traditions of men. In fact, to go against against his prerogative to be your Lord uh, in the conscience is to go against Christ himself, isn't it? And that's why I must be very careful as your minister, right? Because if I am to prescribe anything to you that is against the word of God, I go against Christ himself. And that's a dangerous, dangerous thing, brethren. The danger is found in forgetting one of our seven observations. We are prone to give ourselves over to the bondage of men. But Christ is Lord of our body as well as our soul. So even when it comes to things of the body, we'll talk about that next week, Lord willing. Christ is the Lord. He has purchased us body and soul. And he gets to determine what to do with our body and our soul. We are not even free agents there. The apostles sum up the attitude we are to have in Acts 4.19. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. That is Christian liberty. Hearken unto God more than you hearken unto men. We'll pick that up next time. But no man, no angel, no government, no church, no church can intrude upon the liberty of conscience Christ has given every Christian. Well, let's consider our next fear of liberty, which is the churches, and we'll be briefer here because there will be several sermons in each of these areas. So building on the principles of individual Christian liberty, we consider the liberty of the church. The church, as you know, is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ on the earth. Now, if you think of it that way, everything falls into place. The kingdom has a king. And so it is the king who rules the church. He is her king. She is beholden to him and him only. The church is spiritually independent from all other organizations on the earth. Completely spiritually independent from all organizations on the earth. Galatians 4.26, very interesting. So many of our texts come from Galatians. Galatians 4.26, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. The church is free from the doctrines and commandments of men, free from the impositions upon it from outside forces, even free from the assertions of men who claim to rule her from within. She is totally free. Christ has made her free. Her only head and king is Christ. She will answer to him and him only. Colossians 1.18 And he, Christ, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Why is that on our bulletin day after week after week, that in all things he might have the preeminence, that we might remember who rules. 
It is Jesus, and it is his preeminence the church is all about. The church follows Christ, her head, in the word of God. He gives, yes, officers to rule in the church. We'll consider this with church government one day, Lord willing, but always under him, under his word. If you've been to any sort of Presbyterian, um, at least any conservative Presbyterian church meeting, a court of the church, we almost always will constitute the court by praying in the name of Christ, Zion's only king and head. Because he and he alone, we recognize we are not the rulers of the church ultimately. It is King Jesus. And when it comes to the state, she is freed from state intrusion. No civil authority can control the church. Civil authorities cannot intermeddle with her business or have power inside of her. All intrusions inside of the church are to be rejected as the priests ejected Uzziah. The church has one singular head and king, and that is Christ. And when powers seek to displace him, to rule in his stead, the church must disobey such powers because she is at liberty to follow Christ her king and none else. That is the glorious thought of uh, the liberty of the church, isn't it? I am, we, that is, we are at liberty to follow Christ come what may. Right? That is our liberty. And it doesn't matter if the gates of hell stand between us and Christ. We are following Christ. And because Christ is ruler of all, for the sake of his church, we have great boldness and we have great confidence that our Christ, who is king over all, for the sake of the church, will bless us. So what will we do when men say, do not worship God? The church must disobey. When men say, add such and such to the worship of God, we must disobey. When men say, do not, and this is coming, if you don't think it's coming, you are not reading the times. You know, there was a great protest outside of Sermon Audio's conference this past week by uh, homosexuals and transgendered persons and others. Do not think that at some point the government may well say you are not allowed to preach such and such scriptures. And what will the church do? Say, well, I guess, okay, Romans 13, I guess we'll follow that. No, we are at liberty to follow Christ no matter what a man says. Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God judge ye is the prophetic message from the church to such men. When men say you cannot assemble as a court of Christ's church, the church must, uh, the elders must disobey. This comes straight out of our own history, by the way. When men say you cannot evangelize, <laughs> the church must disobey. There is a great commission given to our king, from our king, rather, and we must disobey. We are bound to one king, King Jesus. He has given us his rule and we follow it. This is not controversial if you know the Bible. In fact, this should be one of the least controversial things that I will ever say to you. What did the apostles do and what did they say in Acts 5? And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest asked them saying, did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Here are even religious leaders saying, don't preach the gospel. Don't preach Christ. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. That is Christian liberty. 
we ought to obey God rather than men. And that is a portrait of the spiritual independence of the church and the boldness the church ought to have in exerting her independence. We exert our independence. As Galatians 5.1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And it is the height of unbelief to think that to stand up to evil men is, is going to, in some ways, result in our spiritual ruin. No, the Lord will bless us for these things. The Lord will go with us. The Lord is king over all. Have we forgotten such things? In fact, Christian liberty is the safest place to be to exercise it because Christ is king of the rulers of the earth and blesses obedience. Now, I'll speak on these nuances a bit later, but when it comes to matters of the sword, we rightfully hand such to the state. The magistrate has been given the sword to punish evildoers. So if there is an evildoer in our midst, even a member of our congregation that needs rightfully a civil penalty applied, we don't hide him in the church and say, you can't have him. No, we give them over to the civil magistrates because that is their God-ordained duty. However, even that has to be in view of the moral law of God. If a man comes here and is uh, wanted because he has preached against certain sins, even with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we do not hand over such men because that is unjust. And that is not what Christ would have us do. And so we'll talk about these nuances. If they preach something that is against the word, if they um, create civil penalties and sanctions against what is actually good, we are at right to disobey the magistrate. We'll develop those distinctions later in our series, God willing. But that takes us to our final sphere, and I'll be brief here as we'll have weeks to develop these things out. And that is the commonwealth's liberty. Now, the civil realm has been given liberties by the Lord, and we have to recognize that. Uh, We are to render, the Lord Jesus Christ said, unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but to render unto God the things that are God's, right? That's Matthew 22, 21. So we understand there are two spheres here, right? Um, And one of the things that's important for us to recognize as the church is the state is not underneath the church's power and authority. However, it is under Christ's power and authority. He rules the state through his ministers of state, magistrates who bear the sword. You think children of kings, presidents, congressmen, and so on, judges. Those are his rulers in the civil realm. Um, Church ministers and elders, I don't have any authority over the state as an elder of Christ's church. However, I am called to preach to the state the mind and will of God, such that the state, by the Holy Spirit's power, may conform itself to the mind of God. And really, we would say, and I'll consider this another week, woe to the state that ignores these messages from Christ. Now, this differs from the Roman Catholic scheme, where the Pope is supreme ruler of the nations. In 1075, Pope Gregory VII issued a decree where he stated he can depose emperors. Christ has given no such power to office holders in the church. Again, the Pope takes on powers that only Christ himself has. Christ says in Proverbs 8, By me kings reign and princes decree justice. But the Pope takes that on for himself. And as our confession rightfully says, showing that he is that Antichrist. No, Jesus Christ is king and ruler of the kingdoms of the earth. And the civil government has liberty. But again, remember our definition of liberty. What is true liberty? It is the liberty to follow Jesus. 
It has no liberty to defy Jesus. It has no liberty to ignore Jesus. Its liberties are not found in we the people, but in Messiah the Prince. Every government that does not is in bondage and is in captivity to sin and Satan. No matter how free a government claims to be, they are not truly free if they are not following Christ and submitting to him and his word. Now, this is a painful question then, and I think you're seeing it work itself out. Is America then truly home of the free? No. Are we thankful for the liberty we presently enjoy to worship God as in his word? Yes, absolutely. We are thankful to God. However, watch very carefully, especially in the years to come, as this nation has not given itself over to Christ. See how long that remains to be the case where we can freely worship God. You saw in the lockdowns, by and large, in many places, no consideration for the church. Now, civil rulers under Christ, I mentioned, have the power of the sword to punish evildoers and reward the good in their jurisdiction, Romans 13. But what that means, and this is actually ignored, is they are duty-bound to protect the church and foster true religion, because that is good. They are in Isaiah, nursing fathers and mothers to the church, Isaiah 49, 23. They are to foster the establishment of the Christian religion in the service of Christ, not to intrude upon the church in any way, but they are to cherish the church and support her. Um, We'll talk about establishment of religion and that biblical doctrine that the Reformed churches had long um, seen out of the word of God. But I also want to spend some time in the future concerning the doctrine of the lesser magistrate, which shows us that magistrates are duty-bound to protect the true religion, even if it means defying greater authorities over them. This was a Reformation doctrine. You'll find thought there in Knox and Bullinger and Calvin, by which the Reformed churches were protected by courageous lesser magistrates, even as Luther himself was protected by a lesser magistrate. Magistrates must see that the king of kings gives them a charter to protect God's people. Uh, There will also be then a consideration of the doctrine of just war. When is a war just? Hardly for the reasons our nation finds itself in foreign adventures. But one of the reasons we can go to war is to defend the true religion when God's people are assaulted. Hardly the reason we ever go to war. We will not use the sword to spread the faith, Now, we use the sword of the Lord, the word of God. But when God's people are under attack, as they were in Esther's day, the sword is to be brought to bear to protect them. And that is a biblical idea too, to preserve their liberty to worship God and preserve them as the people of God. It is the commonwealth's duty to Jesus Christ to see that as so. Again, let me just summarize it this way. The state's liberties are defined in this way, serving Christ. That is the liberty the commonwealth has. The state has no freedom to be antagonistic or even apathetic to the king of kings. That is not a freedom that they have to go against the prince of the rulers of the earth. No. Well, brethren, my time is long gone, but I hope that serves as an overview of where we are headed in upcoming weeks. And I hope you get just a mere taste for the richness and robustness of the doctrine of Christian liberty, that Christ is our freedom and we are freed to serve him only. My prayer is that we will, over the next few weeks, become more fully committed to Christ's lordship, 
See, that's not an L word that we often connect to liberty, is Christ's lordship. We are more committed to his lordship when we stand fast for his crown rights and stand fast for his gospel. For Christ has granted to us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. It is for this purpose Christ has set us free. And may we remember that and live by it to the glory of God. Amen. May God bless our meditation on these things. Please arise for prayer if able. O Lord our God, help us to always stand fast for the glorious liberty that Christ has given us foremost the gospel. Whatever we have, Father, let us never get rid of or deny the gospel of free grace. Let us never give it up for any other liberty that we might want or crave. Help us to keep the gospel at the forefront of our hearts and minds. But also, Father, help us to stand fast for every liberty that Christ has given his people. That we would contend for the crown rights of Christ. When men say, do not speak of the Lord, do not open his word, do not proclaim the excellencies of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, your Lord. We would say no, whether it be right to obey God, uh, to obey you instead of God, you be the judge. And so we pray, Father, that you would give us a holy boldness, especially in an evil day in which men are encroaching upon the liberties of the church, whether from inside the church or outside the church. Well, we know that the enemy seeks to devour the church. We know that the world seeks to have the church under its thumb. We know that that man of sin would seek to control the church, ruling as God in the temple of God. And so we have many great foes, O oh Lord, and men would bind our consciences too. We have many great foes. So how thankful we are that our Lord Jesus Christ is king of nations as well as saints. May the Lord defend us on the day we call, as we have called upon him now. And if any here have not known the Lord as their Savior, may this be the day in which they turn to him for clemency and mercy. Having heard the gospel, even in this sermon, may they turn to the Lord and have that true liberty that they really need, that liberty from the wrath of God. May the Lord bless us in these ways. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.